We're going to be in the book of Ephesians today, chapter 1. Um, thanks for coming. I, I was just thinking as I was getting ready to come up here, like, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of person that comes to a preview service for a church, right? Because this is like our, our, our dress rehearsal before we go live. And so uh, for you guys to come, we really appreciate you helping us out, getting the kinks, and uh, uh, I, hope, uh, I hope Jesus is lifted up sufficiently this morning and that the gospel is declared clearly enough as I talk and as we sing and as we converse with each other that all of us will be encouraged and brought closer to Jesus this morning. That's our prayer. More than having a dress rehearsal and having some cool coffee and watching Dale and the girl band up on the stage, that Jesus Christ will be looked up this morning. That's what we're trying to do. In fact, that's why we're planning a church because the question that you have to ask is, okay, you guys are having a preview service because you're planning a church, but why in the world are you doing that? There are a million churches in Myrtle Beach, right? So why do we need one more church? Well, there's a few reasons. One is that the population of the Grand Strand has almost doubled in the past 20 years. It was about 300,000 people now. And church growth simply has not matched the population growth. Also, uh, have you guys ever been, we're not starting this church because like we weren't happy at the church that we were a part of before. We, all of us are from different churches before. We felt a call to, to be a part of a mission that would reach out because people need to know who Jesus is. People, people need to meet other people who are living a life on mission for Jesus. Now, we're, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So that's where we're having a preview service. That's where we're planning a church. And just to let you know, like, here's what we're about. You see the banners on either side of me? Uh, they're not just uh, high, handsome Hudson back there working the computer. Uh, these are our values. This is what we are about. We spent the, the past year getting ready as a team. God bringing some new people in to be a part. People, we started uh, just about a year ago, Megan and I, in our our uh, living room, we just told some people, hey, we're going to be planning a church. Uh, if anybody's interested, come show up and we'll talk about it. We didn't know if anybody, honestly, didn't know if anybody would show up. Uh, about five minutes before it was time, Megan and I said, well, I know that you and I will be here and I think my mom's coming. So <laughs> that, will be, that will be the start. A few people showed up and we prayed together and that's how we, through the time, through the past year, we've been working on, well, if we're planning a church, what are we about? And these four values are what we're about. That's the DNA of who we are and who we're going to be as a church. First of all, we're about Jesus. See, we believe that Jesus Christ is the almighty creator God. That the world exists for him and by him and back to him. That your life and my life cannot know meaning apart from knowing Jesus Christ and being connected to him, to, to finding our place in regards to him. First of all, that Jesus is God and I'm not. And so 
I have to then respond to Jesus in worship because of who he is and what he has done on my behalf. The only response that a human being can possibly give to a God who came to earth and bore the penalty that you and I rightly deserved is to respond in worship. And worship isn't just confined to what we do when we gather here and the girl band is playing some songs on Sunday morning. Worship is... What do I find valuable? You see, we all, we all in our life have found something that is of value to us that we build our lives around. We all do it. That's what we are created to do because we were created in the very beginning to be worshipers of the almighty creator God. And when that is displaced with something else, we will worship anything, anything that we can find to be of value. We can worship money, career, job, women, guys, uh, fashion. It can be anything, sports. We will find something. And by the way, I'm a Clemson fan. Putting your hope, building your life around the Clemson Tigers is a very futile, unrewarding lifestyle. As a Clemson fan, I will say that because they will constantly break your heart. But it's not just the Clemson Tigers that will do that. Everything will eventually let you down. Everything will eventually have a hollow, empty gong, a hollow, empty sound to it at the very end. At some point, the the drops that were nectar to you at the very beginning will be bitter and will not satisfy that we believe Jesus Christ is the only one who can. And when you meet him as a person, in all of his beauty and glory, and you see not just that he created the heavens and the earth, by his very words, through his power, through his thinking and imagining and speaking, he flung it out into space. But not only did he did that, but when we were separated from him, he came and he bore on his own shoulders the penalty that you and I deserved. And the only way that we can respond to that when you see that and you appreciate that is to respond in worship. And so all of life becomes worship. The way I'm a husband to my wife, Megan, the way I'm a father to my daughter, Sophia, or I'm an employer or uh, a friend or a neighbor, how I do all of that becomes worship. And then when Jesus comes and he totally reorders my life by me seeing that he's God and I'm not, and that he has paid the penalty to reunite me to God because I was separated from him, and that allows me to live in community. There's no such... You know, we're all lonely people. We all want relationships with people. We all want to share life in a deep, meaningful way with other people, with friends and with family. There's no possible way to do that in true community apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's only by my, my accepting, my realizing that my right standing before the Father is through the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. It is only through that that I can then take the mask off because I don't have to pretend. Right? We're all worried about our reputation. We're worried about what you think about me or what I think about myself. And so we're constantly crippled by thinking about that all the time. But whenever I am understanding that my value as a person is not based on how cool I dress or how smart I am or what kind of car I drive or where I live, but it's based 
only on the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf, then I can be real with you. I can tell you just how jacked up and messed up I am. So as we're creating a church, we want to be a church of jacked up, messed up people. We want to own our junk and our dirt. I'm going to tell you guys, I am far away from perfect. I am a messed up, messed up man. I am a, I, I sin all the time. I am, I'm horrible. In lots of ways. But I can be real with you in that because I know it's not my actions that put me in right standing with the Father. It's Jesus' actions for me. Then we can be real. And then together as a community of Jesus worshipers, can we live life on mission. We will be a group of people. This is what Doxa will be. Doxa will be a group of people who live life on the mission that Jesus has sent us on. It's the same mission that he came on. He left heaven and came to earth as a cross-cultural missionary. And we, as citizens of another, another plane, another existence, are yet sojourners here in this world, and we live life on mission. To see God draw a family around himself. We want to see people experience the joy and the insurpassable value in knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's why we exist. Jesus worship, community, mission. That's what we're about. So, anyway, just want to let you guys know. Now we can do the actual message. If you, if you have your, your Bible or your app or whatever... Or you just have it memorized. I have a, a friend. He, he had a professor in Bible college who had a photographic memory. And so when he would say, all right, all right, guys, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, he would literally, like, close his eyes and do this because he was flipping the mental pages in his head to go to Ephesians chapter 1. I think he just did this just to, like, show everybody that he had it memorized. Ephesians 1, verse 1. This is what we spoke on three weeks ago. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was a major city in the Roman Empire. It's one of the largest cities at the time. Uh, Interestingly enough, it had about 250,000 people that lived there. It was a large city. And it's just kind of an interesting note to me that that's between 250 and 300,000. That's about the population of the Grand Strand area. So we're talking about a, a city that's about the size of the Grand Strand. It also sat in the middle of two major trade routes going east and west. And so in the ancient world, if you, just as now, if you live in a, in a trade center, there's a lot of money to be made. It also had a safe harbor, and so it had shipping in and out, it had trade going in and out, and then not only that did it have going for it, but it had one of the seven wonders of the world that sat just outside the city. It was called the Temple of Artemis. And uh, it was an, this amazing, huge building. Parts of it were gold-plated that had the, a, 
a statue of Artemis or the god Diana. If you've ever heard the Roman god of Diana, and that was sat in the middle of the temple. And so people would come from all over the ancient world to see this wonder of the world and to worship Artemis. And so they had a, a booming tourism business, kind of like we have. And then not only that, but when they would come to the city, there were lots of shops or I don't know what they were, little buggies or carts or whatever that would sell little trinkets. So I was picturing like, like Wings Beachway or Eagles Beachway. You go in there, you buy something that you're going to end up throwing away about six months later when you find it that you like remember your, your vacation, you know, something that, that kind of sparkles or, or I don't know, so you look in something and you see a kaleidoscope or a keychain like, yes, I need a Myrtle Beach keychain, some kind of trinket that you're going to buy at Myrtle Beach or wherever you go. And they sold these trinkets that were miniature temples of the Temple of Artemis. The people. So that's the people that Paul was writing to. And Paul came to Ephesus and he planted a church there. He came and he preached the gospel. And it went so well that scripture tells us that the whole region heard about who Jesus was. That's pretty cool, right? The whole region, not just the city, the whole entire region heard about who Jesus was. So this is Paul writing back to the church that he planted. We talked about how he said grace and peace to you, which is how he opened his letters. But we talked about what does that mean, grace, that unmerited favor and peace. Like, what's the, is he just saying like peace, man? Like, you know, no, he's saying, he's saying that he's hearkening that God is going to bring to your heart the same kind of peace or wholeness that people that Adam and Eve had originally in the garden. All right? So let's look and see what he says next. Now, Paul gets very excited whenever he's writing the book of Ephesians. He, he gets super excited. Uh, this is one of the few books that we have in the New Testament where a specific problem is not being addressed. When he writes to the Corinthians, he opens with some nice things, and then he jumps right, he just he just chews them out right off the bat because like some really crazy, crazy stuff was going on in that church. Like you think churches in Myrtle Beach area are jacked up? Some crazy jacked up things was going on in Corinth. But Paul's writing Ephesus and we don't see him writing about any problems. So he just like starts writing. He says, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And then he gets excited and he starts praising Jesus, and he praises Jesus in one sentence from verse 3 all the way down to verse, like, 14. One sentence. He, 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 he just broke every grammar code. He just, he can't, he can't stop writing. He just keeps on going and going and going. Let's see how he starts. He's sort of like, sorry, he's sort of like uh, my five-year-old daughter is sometimes when she's really excited. And I come home, and she starts talking, and it's on, right? Like, it's somehow, she doesn't take a breath. She's just, she's just rolling, 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 like, for an hour, hour and a half. She just keeps on talking and talking and talking. You guys ever seen the, the Bolo commercial where the guy picks up his daughter from daycare or what, school or whatever, and he takes her to the car, and she's talking the whole time, the whole time, the whole time, the whole time. He just opens the door. He puts her in the car. She's talking the whole time, the whole time. He closes the door. Quiet. He walks around the car, opens the door. She's still talking. She never stopped the whole time. And that's kind of what Paul, he is so excited. He's like a five-year-old, ten-year-old girl. He is just, he's rolling with some praise about Jesus here. And he says, blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And that's all we're going to cover today. Dale said, you know, we covered two verses the first week. We're going to cover two verses this week. Eventually, we're going to have to pick up or we'll be in Ephesians for like 18 years. But uh, we're just going to stop right here and we're going to, I'm going to roll on. Let's pray. Father, I pray for um, us this morning. I pray that you, would, uh, that you would speak to us, that you would guide us. God, I pray that uh, it would just be me that would be talking this morning, um, but that you would speak. Glorify your son. That's in his name we pray. Amen. This first verse, first word in, chapter, in verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word there, it means, it means God is to be praised. When he says blessed be God, it means he is, he is to be praised. And then he's going to roll out for the rest of this section why exactly he is to be praised. But have you ever wondered, like, why, why is there so much talk in the Bible about praising God? Why are we instructed to praise God? Why is God, why is God asking us or telling us or commanding us to praise him? Ever thought about that? There's a guy named C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever heard of him? Amazing writer, awesome writer. Um, and he was bothered about that before he became a Christian. He was studying the Bible and he, he saw everywhere that God was commanding us and telling us to praise him. And he said it sounded to him kind of conceited or needy. He said it sounded to him kind of like an old woman just begging for a compliment. You ever been around somebody? He said old woman. I'm, I didn't say old woman. <laughs> and I'm not saying anybody in here is old. I'm just saying that's what he said. Yeah, have you ever been around somebody who's always fishing for a compliment? Who's always like dropping some things like, oh, I look fat in these. And they want you to say what? No, you look great. Or my hair looks terrible this morning. No, your hair looks awesome. Or I'm just stupid. No, you know, you're not stupid. You know, always just begging, just like, please tell me I'm awesome. Tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm great. Tell me I'm grand. And he felt that God was saying that all through scripture. Hey, praise me. Tell me how cool I am. Tell me how awesome I am. Tell me how great I am. Come on, give me, give me, give me, give me. Have you ever thought about that? Like, why? Why is scripture telling us to praise him? And why is God asking to be praised? Ever thought about that? Like, is, is he just kind of conceited? Here's, here's why. See, you and I were created by God. Stop right there. You and I were created by God already. That changes the stage and the way a lot, of our, a lot of us live our lives. We live our lives like other people are here to serve us. Like we're here to get out of other people what we need. Like, like, like my job in life is to, 
is to figure out to suck all that I can out of life and the relationships of people that are around me. That's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for, for you guys to kind of revolve around me. That's, that's really what I want. I want all you guys in this room to kind of just revolve your lives around me. And it starts right off the bat, right? I have not had to teach my five-year-old daughter to boss Megan and me around. But she tries it all the time. Why? Because we think we sh- she thinks that we should just be here to serve her. We should be here for her pleasure. We should be like live-in butlers and maids for her, for her pleasure and for her glory. But that's not the case. We were created by an almighty creator God to enjoy him and to worship him with our lives. That's what we were created for. I I don't know what your different backgrounds in here or what you do for a living or don't do for a living. I, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you were created no matter what you do to worship, to live your life revolving around God, not the other way around. And when we get that mixed up, it throws everything off. And that's what happened in the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and he made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden. Everything was awesome until Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to go a different way. They wanted to do things their own way. And that brought a curse upon them across the whole world. You were born messed up. You don't, you're not born neutral. You're not born good. And you happen to like do some bad things every now and then. But you do also do some good things. And so it kind of levels out sometimes. And sometimes it's more good or more bad. You are born messed up from the very beginning. You are, it's hardwired into your DNA to be set against God. To want the world to revolve around you. Just like my daughter from the very beginning. She didn't have to, we didn't have to teach her the best way you're supposed to live life. She came hardwired that way. And because of that, because God is, listen guys, God is the summation of all that is beautiful and wonderful and good that you can ever think of and more. And so for us to be by nature and by choice set against him to say, No, we should not revolve our lives around you. You should revolve around me. People, I shouldn't exist for to help other people unless I'm going to get something back in return. When that happens, guys, it throws it throws everything off. You and I, from our birth, are are set against God, separated from God, and under the wrath of God. You and I, from birth, are separated from God, set against God, and under the wrath of God. Rightful and just. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus came 
and he stood between the wrath of the Father that was justly due on us as rebels against the throne, and he took the penalty that we deserved for us. He bore it on his broad shoulders on the cross where he paid the debt. And when you and I see that and appreciate that, it cannot help but cause us to respond in worship to him, in praise to him, to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing he says there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's kind of weird phrasing, isn't it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's talking about there. He's saying that Jesus Jesus was the mediator for us. And the only way that he could be the mediator between God the Father and me is for him to be both man and God. And just think about that for a minute. That, that Jesus, I lost my train of thought. That Jesus somebody who's all-powerful and almighty? Can, can you relate to somebody who, like, you can appreciate the fact that he created creation, that he made the Rockies and the ocean in its vast depth that we haven't, still haven't explored. And he created a universe that is constantly expanded, that is constantly expanding and, ex, and has expanded and will continue to expand, and we can't reach the, the end of it. We are a drop in that ocean. And the God who created the sun, have you ever just thought about in the morning when the sun rises and its rays warm you, how amazing it is, how, that, how far and how long those rays have traveled to reach your face and to warm your face in the morning. The God who created the seasons, it is cold out there this morning. He created winter and spring and summer and all the things that come with it. He created the flowers and the intricate nature of the flowers and the bugs. That's amazing, but I cannot relate to it. Because he's so far above and beyond who I am. I can appreciate him. I can wonder at him. But I cannot know him in any sort of personal way. Because it's so, it's, it's like the difference between my daughter and myself. In that my, my daughter has no idea the things, that, the decisions that I make every day. She just knows the part that she comes in contact with me. She doesn't know what it's like to be an adult and have the decisions that we have to make, the weight that we have to, how do, how do the lights stay on and how is there food that happens to be in the, in the door for her to come and grab a snack? How, how does that happen? She has no idea. It's so far above her, she can't quite comprehend it. And God is like that to the nth degree above us. And yet, 
though we were separated from him and he was so amazing and powerful, he sent Jesus, his son, as a human and as God. So God, God was Jesus' father and his Lord. Because he was, he was the son of the father that he was man, so as that he was his God. Jesus is the one that you and I can relate to. He was a man. God became flesh, and he lived just like you and I live. He learned how to walk. He learned how to eat. Jesus had to pee and he had to poop. He was a human being. He knows what it was like. Jesus woke up one morning and had a gray hair for the first time. Jesus got thirsty. He got hungry. He understands what you and I go through every single day. And not only that, but whenever he was killed on the cross and he rose again, he rose again in a glorified human body. And then whenever he rose to the Father, and it says that he's seated at his right hand, how is he seated at the right hand of the Father today? He's a human being sitting beside God the Father right now. He changed forever the nature of the triune Godhead whenever he became a human. That is a God that you and I can relate to. And today he is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. He is the surety as he is, as he is physically sitting beside the Father wherever that is right now in another dimension, another time, space, continuum. I don't know, but he is sitting there beside the Father right now. And that is our surety that he knows what life is like for you. And for me, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Do you notice in these two verses, he uses the word blessed or blessing three different times. Blessed be God the Father, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Those are three different words, but they all come from the same root Greek word. The word blessed, when it starts out with blessed be God the Father, that's only used in regards to God. That's praise to God. And then blessed, the who, has, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, that blessed us means to make happy or joyful. So happy, who ha- he has made us happy with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that mean? That means that God the Father has emptied the resources of heaven for you and for me. You, because you've been made, if you are a believer today, a son or a daughter of the Father, you have access to everything. You have access to the family name, to the family fortune, to the family business, which happens to be the whole universe and beyond the universe. You are an heir of all that. You have direct access to it all. He's poured out. He didn't just like give you some. He has poured out the resources of everything that he has and everything that he owns for you and for me. 
It was no small thing for God to become man and to come and bear a penalty for you and me. And now, all, all of the glory and the joy and the pleasure and the happiness that exists in heaven has been made accessible by you and by me. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Not he's going to bless us or will bless us one day, but he has blessed us. How has he blessed us? You can look back to a, a time in history where a, a man, a real man, Jesus Christ, lived and he died a real death on a real cross. He poured out real blood as he was whipped by real whips and nailed with real nails into real wood. And he, his real body was placed in a physical grave where it was closed up. And then that same body in some new glorified state that we can't quite comprehend what it was like rose again. It really happened. And so the spiritual blessings that you have been blessed with are based on a real fact. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a myth. It's not a hope that we have. It is something true and real that happened on our behalf. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us how? What's, what's those two words there? He's blessed us in Christ. We'll come back to that. In, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I remember um, elementary school, middle school. Do you guys remember, uh, like you're going to play kickball or a game of football or whatever, and you're going to pick teams? Do you guys remember that? Ever been a part of that? Boy, that gets your heart racing at that age, right? <laughs> Unless you just happen to be the biggest, tallest, fastest, like you're the athlete, of the crew, like it gets you, gets your heart racing a little bit. I was, I was never the most uh, physically gifted person uh, that would be gathered on the playground. Uh, I was uh, at the time I was kind of puny, kind of skinny. Uh, that this all happened later on, and uh, you stand there at the crew, right? Like everybody's all all gathered like, together, and and you're sort of caught between like. I want to act like I don't care, but I do care. And so you're trying to figure out, like, do I stand in the front? Do I stand in the back? Do I try to, you know, hope, hope when the captains are going to be my friend and kind of get their eye? Or if my other friend gets picked, like, trying to get his eye, like, hey, convince him to take me. You guys, you guys remember? Ever, ever been through that? You guys are, like, just staring at me like you've never been through that whole, like, and it's just that moment of hoping an angst at that moment. Like, I just hope I'm not, what? the last person 
chosen. I hope I'm not the guy that's standing there and the guy's like, all right, I'll take Randy. Come on over here because you happen to be standing there. Are you sure there's nobody else who's going to join us? Okay, I'll, I'll take you. You're the last one standing. That sense of, I was remembering that sense of angst and hope and worry because you want to be chosen. We all want to be chosen. And not just on the playground when you're waiting to play kickball. Whenever you're, you're looking for a mate, and you're out walking around the, I don't know what, uh, the, way back in the day in Conway, I, I never took part in it. Uh, they, they, we had the, what we called a mall, which is probably smaller than this school. And uh, what they would, what the teenagers would do at night, uh, particularly on the weekends, is you would cruise the mall. And that basically in, entailed driving around and around the same building over and over again. And what you're, you know, what you're really doing in that time is you're really trying to catch the eye of somebody who will what? Who will choose you. You sit in that car with your girlfriends or your guys and you're, you just want to pass somebody who will, what, choose me. I don't want to be the one left over. I want to be chosen. We have this desire that we want to be picked. I was watching a show a couple of months ago and uh, this, this girl was like this whole romantic thing that was going on and she just talked about how she just wanted to be chosen. She wanted to be picked. She wanted to be the first choice. She didn't want to be the fallback. We want to be picked out. Something special about being picked, about being chosen. My, uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a daughter, as I've mentioned before. We've been waiting for over a year to try to adopt a child. And they have found for us a two-and-a-half-year-old boy named Landon. And he'll be placed in our home this week in a foster-to-adopt situation. Now, the special thing about Landon is, even though he won't carry any of my blood or my DNA, I'm sure he'll be thankful for that. The blood pressure and the physique, remember what we're talking about. But we will have chosen him to be a part of our family. Don't we all want to be chosen? To be picked? And here's the deal. Paul is telling us that God, the Father, chose us. That means if you are a believer in Christ today, that means he chose you. He didn't choose humanity at large. He chose you in particular. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. We can start in verse 8 to give us context. 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, 
We'll start in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before what? Before the ages began. Before the ages began. That means that God didn't just choose you because he's like, hey, Jonathan Shanks, you're an incredibly good-looking, sharp young dude. I want you to be on my team, and that's how I'm going to choose you, like we're choosing a kickball tournament. So he's like, you're big and tall, I'll take you. Not that kind of big and tall, I mean, big and tall and fast. Not the big and tall if you go to the big and tall shop, but big and tall, you know, like strong and fast and somebody you'd want on your team. Uh, I choose you because you're sharp, you're smart, you're good looking, you got a great smile. You're the kind of guy I want on my team. All right, and I'll take you, and I'll take you. You're the cream of the crop. That's who I'm picking. It says that he chose, elsewhere in scripture it says, he chose the weak things of the world. He chose those who weren't quite the sharpest pencils in the box. He chose the weak things of the world. When? Like whenever he saw you're struggling and, or he saw that you had something going on for you, you had something back in, when did he choose before the age began, before the foundation of the world, it says he chose you. Not based upon your works, not because you had any merit, not because you had a great smile or cool hair or you could play an instrument, you weren't talented, you weren't smart enough, because none of us are talented, smart enough, good enough in comparison to God. He doesn't need us on his team. But he chose you because he placed his love upon you before the world began. Before he spun the world into existence, before there was a single star, before there was such a thing as space, he said, I choose this one. This one will be mine, not because you have something going on, not because you're smart or clever, but because I have chosen you. That's why. That's why I've chosen you. Simply because think of how that should make you feel if you're a believer in Christ today it's not happenstance you didn't happen to walk into the meeting you became a believer in you didn't happen to run into the person that shared the gospel with you you didn't happen to grow up in church and in a Christian home he chose you to be in those situations that he would call you and pluck you out of the life that you were living and place you into his kingdom into his family. He picked you. He chose you before you did anything. Not by works or merit. None of us can boast and say, hey, I was smart enough. I I saw it. I, I was clever enough. I was better than anybody else. I came to him because he chose me. Look at Deuteronomy. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Anybody grow up in church and learn, learned a song to remember the books of the Bible with? Anybody? Just me? 
Yeah, I did it. <laughs> I still use it in my head as I'm flipping. I'm like, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. He's ta- this is, uh, Deuteronomy is, a, is kind of a letter from Moses to the children of Israel before Moses is going to die. And this is not long before they're going to go into the promised land that God had promised them for years. And they've been, they spent 40 years just wandering around in the wilderness. That had to be rough. And Moses writing them kind of his parting letter to remind them of all the things that he had taught them. All the things they had been through together before he's going to leave them. And this is what he says in chapter 7, verse 6. And this applies to us, the people of God. For you are a people... Holy to the Lord, your God. Three weeks ago, we talked about how he said that he had called us saints. And we talked about how we were set apart or made holy, not because of something that we did, because he called us out. He, he interjected himself into our life. I'm like Paul was going on the road to Damascus and Jesus intercepted him on the way and called him to himself. He set him apart to himself. That's what he's saying there. You are a people holy or set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for what? His treasured possession. His treasured possession. If you are a child of the living God today, you are a part of his treasured possession. What's your treasured possession? Megan ran across yesterday as we were making room for Landon in his room. She ran across, this is a pretty cool girl. She had a baseball card collection, and she still has it. Well, you keep it in the box, you keep it nice and safe, a good quality box, and you, you, have, you have the special cards and, the, and that plastic hard sleeve so it won't get all messed up because, you know, you want to preserve it because why? Because it's a treasured possession. You are God's treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. If you are a believer in Christ today, you are so because he plucked you out to himself. Look at Jeremiah 31, sorry, look at Ezekiel 36. Yeah, Ezekiel. Turn right at Jeremiah. Ezekiel 36. Verse 22. This is going to be a long section, so stick with me through it. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, this applies to the church, to us, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So he's saying, like, I'm doing this. You've been, you've been bad. You've been bad, guys. You've been sinful. You have not kept your end of the bargain. And I don't know how many of you guys, I've dropped the ball 
probably today, several times already. Verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. So he's saying, look, you guys even have a bad reputation with people who don't even know me, in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people. I will be your God. Who is, who is the one that's doing the action in that section of scripture? Who's the one acting? Who's the one doing anything? Was, was he saying, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this? No, he's saying, you're, you're really bad. I've told you what I want you to do. You're still going your own way. But here's what I'm going to do. I will save you. I will pull you out. I will wash you and cleanse you. You don't have to clean yourself and then come to me. I will cleanse you. I will put a new heart within you. You can't do it to yourself. You can't give yourself the surgery that you need. I will put the new heart within you. I will wash you from your sin. I will cleanse you. I will put a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. And then, and then, I. My people. Not because of any merit that you've done, but because I have chosen to do it. Your inheritance, your connection to that every spiritual blessing that we are looking at in Ephesians is based upon, was secured when Jesus took your penalty my penalty on the cross. And in fact, it was secured way before that, before he even created the world and decided, I will save you. So, tell me, in that situation, who gets the glory? Who gets to get praise? What does it make our hearts want to do? If you say, if, if I had something to do with it, if, if, if he was 90% responsible and I was 10% responsible, then he gets 90% of the credit and I get 10% of the credit. But if he took care of it all from beginning to the end, then he gets all the praise. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. And then that last that last. Uh, Phrase back in Ephesians 1 and we'll be done. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now depending on how you read this section of scripture that can feel like very, very weighty. Like I cannot be holy and blameless before him. 
So I feel like a whole weight of responsibility, like how in the world am I going to do this? But that's not, he's not saying, hey, here's the rules and I want you to follow it now. Look at uh, Colossians Verse 1 and verse 21. And you, that's you and me, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled, he's brought us to him, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Your standing is holy and blameless before the Father. It's not based upon what you and I have done. It's based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and on my behalf. He chose you before you did anything good, anything wrong, anything smart. Before you, before you aced that test, before you nailed your career before you really excelled in athletics, before you were the popular kid in class or you were the smart kid in class, before you had anything going for you, he looked ahead through time before he even created time and he said, I choose you. Not because of any merit, but because of my choice because I have placed my love upon you and you will be mine. And it's that, when we see that and we appreciate that, it's that that causes us to want to worship, to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All praise and glory and honor is due to you. That's what causes it. Have you ever, ever met somebody that was kind of interesting and different and and you like the next day you're trying to explain meeting, meeting that person and you just can't quite like you're trying to explain the conversation you had with them but you just can't quite convey it right to them you're like I guess you had to you had to be there or 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 like you went to a concert and you, you took a picture with your phone, and you sent it to your friends, or you took a video, or you tried to explain it to somebody, like, yeah, they did this, they played this song, we played this for you, let me show you the picture, but it just doesn't quite, you can't quite get it across to them. You ever tasted something like a really amazing meal? And, and you try to want to, like, yeah, it was kind of spicy, but it had this kind of a kick, and but but then it had I don't know it had this other taste in it. It was creamy, and you, 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 like they can understand what you're saying, but you just can't quite get it across. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever stood on a precipice and looked out into a valley, and then 
tried to explain what that feeling was like to somebody who wasn't there. We take pictures and we take videos, but it just doesn't quite convey it. Ever, ever been frustrated with that? Like, how do I get this across? Because there is a difference between me explaining to you the fact that I saw a beautiful sunrise the other morning and how the, the rays broke through the clouds and sh- shone through the trees and it was, it was purple and red and golden all at the same time and it, it filled like the area around me with this golden warm light. Like I can explain that to you and you can picture it somewhat but you can't get that feeling. You don't know what it's like to be there. I can tell you what it's like to sit at the base of the Rocky Mountains and look up and, and then to, and to be awed by that, then get in a car and be in shorts and short sleeves on at the base of the mountain. And then you go over this pass that's only open four months a year because the rest of it's covered in snow. And as you go up the mountain, you see the temperature on the exterior reading on the car drop 40 degrees from the base to the top in September. And you get out, and you look out over the valley. I can explain that to you, but you cannot know and appreciate what it's like unless you've been there and breathed that air. Unless you stand for yourself on the edge of the precipice and look out into that valley where your stomach's going, doing crazy things, and you... You feel discombobulated. Unless you do that yourself, you cannot know and, and appreciate it. I can tell you about an awesome concert I went to, but unless you are in there and you see and feel and hear the genius of the musicians, you cannot know what it's like. There's an appreciation that comes from being a part of something. And here's the deal. I can tell you how amazing and awesome God is. I can tell you that he loved you with an everlasting love. That he placed upon you before the foundation of the world, not by any merit that you have done. But until you experience it for yourself, it's just knowledge. Until you physically, emotionally, experientially stand in the middle of knowing and experience the fact that Jesus Christ died for you in order to call you out of the life that you're living and into the family of God. And he has grafted you in. And so that the fact that all of the heavenly blessings are poured out upon you in Christ, you cannot know what that's like. I can tell you, somebody else can tell you. Experientially. So we're going to stand up. Actually, we're not going to stand up first. We're going to have the band come forward. We're going to play a song. It's going to be about how, what Jesus did for us. You can stay in your seat, you can close your eyes, you can, whatever you want, just no, no big deal, just to experience, to quietly appreciate all that God is, all that he has done for us on our behalf. Maybe you came in and uh, 
Maybe Jesus has felt a million miles away from you. Maybe your, your spiritual walk has been kind of stale and lifeless. Uh, maybe you've never experienced for the first time what it is to be a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, of the Father. But as we think and meditate and hear and let wash over us who he is and what he has done for us, let us experience his love and his goodness and his greatness experience, the fact that he chose us in him before the world began. He chose you. He chose you. He picked you. Not because he had a lot of love for you. Because he placed value on you.